and you may be seated. Well, I want to, uh, of course, address a subject uh, with you guys this morning, and Lord willing, over the next couple of weeks, um, I want to address a subject that, um, that I'll be honest with you, I've never heard a sermon on uh, from the pulpit. I've never, I've never heard a series on it. I've never heard a specific uh, sermon on it. Um, and after working through this this week and really struggling through it and wrestling through it this last week, I got to be honest with you, I think I know why uh, nobody ever preaches on the subject because it's incredibly emotionally charged uh, and it's really messy and it's really difficult to be able to navigate through. And, um, and, and because of that, I, I want to preach on it. And I want to teach on it. And, uh, and, and so kind of here's my plan. What I want to do, uh, if the Lord allows us to, is to really address the subject of dating as a whole in a broad sense, but more specifically really focus on what, what I refer to as modern dating that's taking place amongst our teenagers, all right? That's really what we want to really try to focus on on this. And, and I believe probably the first question that's going to be asked that some of you may be, have already asked since last week is Why? Why in the world are you addressing the subject of dating, especially on Sunday morning? This is a youth thing, or, or this is between parents and, and their kids. And, and I wouldn't disagree with any of that, but let me give you a couple reasons why I felt led to go and, and travel down this path. Number one, let me give you a couple reasons. Number one, modern dating seems to be a confusing subject for parents, all right? Seems to be a confusing subject for parents. <clears throat> we have a lot of parents and a lot of children in this church, and what we find is this, is that when they begin to get older and they're getting older to that, and they're getting their teens and they're getting older to that traditional age of dating, uh, all of a sudden, a lot of us are like, I have no idea how to navigate through this. I don't know what we're doing. All I know is I feel sick and anxious about this time of life. What do we do? Anybody identify with that at all? All right. Time of anxiousness. Um, and, and here's why I think we feel anxious. I think we feel anxious because for many of us, the whole dating thing was a train wreck, all right? You, you with me at all? Uh, we remember the hurt, we remember the confusion, remember the pressure, and, and we remember the guilt that many of us experienced because we were probably doing things that we probably ought, not probably, ought not to be doing. And so here we are, that's our memory of dating, and now God has given us these wonderful children, and as they're raising up, we see them at the cusp of entering into the very thing that for many of us was so disastrous, hurtful, and guilt-ridden. So, so we're confused. What, what do we do? We know they're getting in that age, and I think what we're thinking in our minds is, well, they got to do it. They're going to be teenagers. That we got to let them go. I just don't like it. How do I, what, what do I do? What do I say? So because of that, I think we need to address it. Second, modern dating has claimed a great deal of victims. One of the jobs that I have, one of the roles that I have as a pastor here is to help people with their marriages. And that's not only to teach, and if you need more work on that, go back to our sermon series on biblical manhood and womanhood, and also go back uh, on our sermon series on marriage, and those things will help you to build a theological foundation. But one of the things I specifically try to address is, is, is doing premarital counseling as well as marriage counseling. And the whole idea for premarital counseling is to try to help people to enter into the marriage, know what to expect, know what God expects of them, to lay out what, what, what God would have them to be able to do. But I, I got to tell you this, one of the greatest boundaries, one of the greatest difficulties that, or hurdles that we have to overcome, both in premarital counseling and within marriage counseling, is previous dating relationships. Not previous marriages, 
but previous dating relationships. When I, when I talk with folks, they have to work through all of these insecurities, all of these uh, intimacy problems, all of these trust issues, again, that didn't come because they were married before. These things were developed in unhealthy dating relationships that they had that's now negatively impacting their marriage and them being able to come together and to live out what God has set apart for them to be and to be able to do. And so what happens is you begin to deal with it, and sometimes there's jealousies because of the physical and emotional intimacies that this spouse shared with another dating person, somebody else that they dated. There's comparisons there. There's insecurities that they feel, and it all comes because of who they dated, not even because they were married before. Let me give you another reason. Modern dating seems to place a great deal of pressure on our children. And when I talk about pressure, I mean not only external pressure, but internal pressure. External pressure is this. We live in a society that it seems like dating is the thing. It's the, it's the end all to be all. Now, this has really changed, okay, over the years. Since the 50s and especially the 60s with the sexual revolution, there's been a huge emphasis on what we call modern dating. All right, huge emphasis. And so the world basically says, society says, hey, man, you need to date. It's a part of, uh, of you growing up, go and, and date. A lot of pressure from peers to date. My, my, my son is 11 years old, and it's interesting that he, he even, even himself, people kind of pressuring him, going, hey, who do you like? Who do you, who, who do you want to date? And I'm like, you're 11, right? Where, what, what, what's going on here, right? So a lot of pressure. But let me say this. There's even a lot of pressure being placed on our young people by their parents, uh, to hear a lot of their parents kind of talk and go, hey, listen, I-, I hope my son or my daughter finds a good boy or girl to be able to date, even their own parents. I think, l- let me say this, and I want to say this gingerly, I think that there's so much concern, honestly, about our children like liking the opposite sex and not the same sex. There's, there's almost kind of like, oh, I hope, I hope they get a girlfriend so we don't have to deal with that issue. Okay, I mean, I'm, I'm being honest with you. I think that that's kind of what everybody's tension is with that. And so they're pushing them into these relationships. And then what happens is if the child doesn't want to date or isn't dating like everybody else is, then the world, even parents and friends, begin to think, hey, there might be something wrong with this guy or there might be something wrong with this girl. So there's that external pressure, but there's also this internal pressure is that the child, because of all that outward pressure, if they want to date or if they want to enter into some kind of relationship with somebody, but they can't find that person to date, or if they just flat out don't want to do it because of conviction, sometimes they begin to wonder, is there something wrong with me? Everybody else says date, and I don't want to date. Is there something wrong with me? A lot of pressure. Let me give you a fourth reason very quickly. Modern dating seems to be rarely talked about in the church. When I, when I talked with some of my close friends, close pastor friends, I told them, I said, listen, guys, this is not what I, by the way, if you're visiting, this is not what we normally do, all right? I just kind of let you know. And you're like, really? No. Normally, we work through books of the Bible, just got through James. Uh, I'm on this J thing, so in January, Lord willing, we'll be going through the book of Judges. And, uh, and so we just kind of work through expositionally. This whole topical thing, I do like one a year, then I repent. And then that's, that's kind of how we work with this topical stuff, all right? And so we're, we're, we're working on this. But as I begin to tell my friends, and I said, hey, what do you think about me doing this series on dating dead silence on the other end of the phone? Dead silence. And I'm like, hey, can I get a little bit of feedback? I think this is good. And they go, bro, we could never do that in our church. I said, why? And he goes, because it would split our church wide open. They go, people would be so upset. People would be oh, so angry. And, and, and the reason is, is because where you end up finding yourself by the time you search through the word of God and what it means and what it says specifically about dating, then you find yourself sitting there and people get very, very angry. He goes, Mike, I don't think you should do it. 
one, one friend said. Another friend said, I think you should do it, but good luck with that. Let me know how it works for you. You know, and, and send me your transcripts in case it works out okay. And so, so the idea, here, here's, here's I think what's happening is, the reason I'm addressing this is because it is a huge, huge part of our cult, culture. It's a huge part of what people think is kind of the rite of passage for young people. And yet the only influence and in teaching that they're getting is from a lost and dying world. That's it. Here's what ticks me off. All right, just going to let you know. You're like, you get ticked off your preacher all the time, all right? So, so here's what ticks me off. What ticks me off is that the world has carte blanche to say and to teach whatever it is and on whatever subject, but yet for in the church, there are some, some issues and some topics that are way too sensitive for us to be able to address. I think that's baloney. I think that's exactly the way the devil would want it. Put a fear that this is going to be make, make, make us be divided and cause problems with the church and angry people are going to go somewhere else. Look, it happens every day. I mean, what, look, if you've been here any time in the last 10 years, have we ever sat there and said this might offend somebody? No, we've just done it. Why? Because if it's the word of God, it's the word of God. We're, the word of God is not to submit to us. We're to submit to it. So why are we addressing it? Because if we don't, your children will learn from someone else. All right, you with me? Tracking with me those reasons? Now, let, let me say this. As your pastor, as I see people who are confused, as I see people who are hurting, as I see young people who are being pressured, and, and, and I see that there is a lack of guidance and direction, me, as one of your pastors here, within me, I want to help. I want to help. Let, let me tell you what this is not about. Let me tell you what we're not trying to do. One is we're not trying to be hurtful. See, because... Going through this all of a sudden immediately digs up maybe some past issues and some past feelings, and we're not doing that, all right? We're not going there. Hey, tell me when you were a little kid and you began. We're not doing that, all right? And, and some of you, and, and it's true, it's raw material. We're like, I don't even want to think about this. Here's how it kind of worked this last week. I was like, so tell me about uh, your kid about to date. Yes. So tell me a little bit about your dating experience. <laughs> all right. It's, I mean, almost almost each thing. You know, this man right here was one of them, all right? And I said, we're going to talk about dating. I go, how'd it work for you? He goes, oh, not so good, all right? And, uh, and, and so that's kind of how we, how, how we feel with this. And so we don't want to hurt anybody by bringing up some bad memories. Let me just tell you this. Be repented of that. It's under the grace and the blood of Jesus Christ. Forgiven, gone, don't worry about it, all right? It's under the grace and the blood of Christ. And I don't want to hurt anybody because right now there are some that are leading their kids and trying to track through their children with this whole dating issue. And, and I don't want to hurt you by condemning you. Does that make sense? Now, here's what I don't mind. I don't mind if as we, especially next week, begin to work through theologically this issue and biblically this issue, I don't mind if you feel convicted. I don't mind if God begins to teach and change your heart so that you can be glorifying to God and do this maybe in a more biblical, theological, Christ-centered, God-honoring way. Don't mind that at all. But it's not for me. Listen, parenting is hard enough than for everybody to get up on you and pound you for the job that you're doing. You with me? So we're not trying to be hurtful. Second, we're not trying to be divisive. We don't want to become one of those churches, and, and we've tried to do this. Look, we've got homeschoolers and non-homeschoolers, but praise God, we've never become the church that's like the homeschooler side and the, and, and the public school side, and then they all start arguing. Well, guess, we don't want, why, right? And, and we don't want to become, we don't want to become uh, the, 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 the daters and the non-daters, right, right? There's the daters, oh, that's the non-dating side of the church. Right, we don't want to become that, all right? We don't want to be divisive in marriages either. 
And, and I think that this is where we're really going to have to seek the scriptures, where a husband and wife are going at it, where the husband's like, I don't think it's a good idea to, to, for our kids to date. And the wife's like, oh, you're so old. Just let them date. It's what we need to do. We don't want there to be a division there. And we certainly don't want there to be division between the parents and the young people. The purpose of this is not to divide. The purpose of this is to unify. Because what God has called us to do is not just to simply go and just try to piece all this stuff together on our own, but to really search the scriptures. And all of us, no matter what our beliefs and thoughts are, is to submit ourselves to the authority of the word of God and our King Jesus Christ. And if we come together, I think what this will do is it ultimately give us a little bit of more understanding and, and, and centrality and, you, and unity because we understand that at least we know that this is the clarity of God's teaching on this subject, right? I, I think that's the thing. So we don't want to be hurtful, don't want to be divisive. And, and, and by all means, I don't want to be legalistic. Uh, on the third session, I'm going to try to give some practical application. And that's always the danger, especially with Southern Baptist people. Because once the preacher goes, well, you know, this is the way to do it, then everybody's throwing their hands up in the air and go, oh, this is law, this is how we have to do it. I think that I'd be doing an injustice if at the end of this whole series, I didn't try to show you what I think these biblical principles looks like lived out, right? I think that would be helpful. Would you agree? But what I don't want is you guys to sit this and go, you know what? That's how it should look. And if, if anybody's doing any differently than that, then it's unbiblical. That's, that's not what we're attempting to do here at all. I think there's probably a lot of ways that you could live this out. We just have to have at least a way for us to understand maybe how it looks. So I don't want to be hurtful. I don't want to be divisive. I don't want to be legalistic. I want to be helpful. And I want to be God-honored. So let's start with this. Let's start with really trying to define, and don't put it up yet, by the way, the definition yet. I'll, I'll tell you when to do that. Well, we need to really define, give a, give a definition to this idea of modern dating. We've already been using that term. And the reason I think it's important is because from generation to generation, and from what I could tell, we have a lot of different generations represented here. And what I would say is that almost every generation has a different idea or a different definition of what dating is. Would you guys agree with that? For example, my parents, this is what they viewed as dating. And I remember their definition was like so weird to me as a kid. Their idea of dating was basically one guy, one girl that shared some kind of interest in each other, either emotional or physical or something like that, thought they were attractive. And they literally just went out somewhere. Just, I mean, no relationship whatsoever. Just went out and went to the movies and went to a dinner or whatever it is, just kind of as friends. And, and so my parents would say stuff like, hey, listen, go out and just date a lot of different people. In my definition, I'm like, that's disgusting. You know, you, you don't go out just dating a lot of people. What's wrong with you? And they're like, what do you mean you're only going to date one person? What's wrong with you? And so we, you see how that's working? So what we need to do is we need to at least agree upon what we mean when we begin to talk about modern dating. And so let me, let me try to do that for you. Today, I think the term dating really uh, tr far transcends the simple idea of going out on a date or having a series of dates, all right? Let, let's just say that. And so I think w when a guy and a girl are dating today, the inference is that they share an exclusive relationship with one another, that is that they're a boyfriend and a girlfriend and they're only kind of seeing, guys, am I good so far? Okay, kind of. You're like, well, you're a little off, dude. But it's okay, I'm, I'm way off. Okay, I got a thumbs up, all right. So, so this is it, man, they're dating, exclusive relationship. I had to do a lot of brain searching on this this last week for these definitions. And it says they, they refer to girlfriend and boyfriend. And what is interesting, here's what I find interesting in my study, is you don't even have to go out or go on a date to actually be considered dating. It's very fascinating. So you could be 13 
and your girlfriend could be 13, you could be dating, but the only reason you're, but you're too young, according to your parents, to go out on a date, and therefore you're too young to date, but here's, here, here's the bottom line, but yeah, they're dating. So very confusing, you could be dating without dating, very strange stuff to me, right? Very strange stuff to me. And so here's, here's the idea. Both agree that this is going to be an exclusive relationship. And let me ask you, let, let me say this, let me add one more thing to it. They also identify themselves not only as a couple, whereby they're entering into an exclusive relationship, but both come together and now share in a deeper level of emotional and physical intimacy. Got that? That's, that's what's understood. We're going to get together. Here's what's going to happen. Now, now don't freak out. I've got to kind of use some terms here, in, 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 and this is as PG as I can get it, okay? All right, here it is, is that, is that by physical intimacy, just very clearly, I'm not meaning going all the way. You guys got that, right? Okay. Everyone good? Nobody's angry yet? All right. Going all the way. We got that, Brother Mike. All right. And so I, I know you're going to watch TV all day long, it says, but if I say anything close, you're going to be offended. So here's the idea. I don't really mean by physical, entering into physical intimacy, I don't necessarily mean that. Okay. But I do, I do mean that there is a level of understanding, both by the guy and the girl, that in entering the relationship, there is going to be a deeper level of emotional and physical intimacy, even if it's the holding of hands, even if it's the hugging each other, and even if it includes kissing. Okay? You guys, with all the, all the youth, look, they're all laughing. They're like, what are you talking about? Kissing? This guy's a moron, right? And so, okay, yes, I am. I'm just, listen, I'm trying to help the old folks, all right? Under, understand where you guys are coming from. So greater level of, of intimacy. is interesting thing this last week, um, it, it, l- l- let me say this. Some people are going to have a problem with that whole physical intimacy thing. But, but let me tell you how this works. And you can, you can argue till you're blue in the face. But if you're honest, this, this is how it works. This physical and emotional intimacy that they're going to enter into is understood by both parties. And the girl, most of the time, is entering into that relationship because she wants emotional intimacy. The guy is entering it because he wants physical intimacy. Now, I understand that the sweet mom is going to sit there and go, not my Johnny. Not my Johnny. My Johnny doesn't even think about stuff like that. There's no way. I'm telling you, he would not enter into the dating relationship if he did not think that he was going to be given a license to do more physically with her. You got it? It got quiet all of a sudden. See, here's what's happening. All the women are sitting there going, I don't think so. I think they can date and be emotionally bonded, which we're going to talk and unpack that next week, all right? More dangerous even than the physical, I think. But here's the idea. The girl, the girl oftentimes is getting in willing to give up physical intimacy to get the emotional intimacy that she wants. The guy is willing to give the emotional to get the physical. And so some of you moms are sitting around because, look, you don't understand how the male brain works. You don't understand it. My wife and I have gone through this. She goes, explain to me, 16 years we've been married. Explain to me again how guys think. Now she's like, you guys are messed up. You guys are messed up. We are. Men, yes, here's what we understand. All, women may say, I don't think guys are going in there for the physical relationship. Men, are they going in because it's giving them the right to do more physically with a person they're going in the relationship? Say yes. You lie. See, that's not, this, not enough conviction. Not enough conviction, all right? It's why they're entering into that particular thing. I learned this last week that a guy and a girl can hang out. I'm just trying to, is this helpful, by the way? Okay, good. Look, more things that I learned. Young people, listen, I'm all about it. I'm, I'm on it. Guy and girl can be hanging out together. They can like each other. 
They can, they can go out on dates together. All right, old people. All right, okay, go out on dates together. Uh, they can e- even be kind of physically intimate, like holding hands, maybe doing a little kissing, and still not consider themselves as dating. They are, quote, just talking. We're just, just talking. Yeah, what are you doing? Well, we're just, we're just talking. Yeah, but I saw you holding hands. Yeah, but we're just talking. So just talking means, here, here's the, it's very complicated. So just talking is, man, why don't we just, just parents just dictate who they're going to marry. It just seems a lot easier. So, so what happens here is, is just talking is the precursor now to dating, which is a precursor to, 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 um, to being engaged, which is a precursor to now getting married. We got a lot of precursors going on here, all right? So the, the, the just talking is trying to figure out and feel each other. Yeah, sorry. Trying to keep moving. And so they, so quickly. So they, they, this is to try to figure out. I'm so sorry. I apologize. Trying to figure out, I'm sin- sincerely, uh, try to figure out if this person is date worthy. You with me? Are they date worthy? But we're just talking. See if we'll get into a more exclusive relationship, more committed relationship with the two. So let me sum up for you, make sure we understand this. So dating, you could put the definition up. Dating takes place when a guy and a girl enter into an exclusive relationship in which there is an understood increase in emotional and physical intimacy. Fellas, say amen if that's right. Right, we're good, we got a thumbs up. People are not saying anything. All right. All right, let me give you the two reasons why I think that our culture are entering into this modern dating. Here it is, two reasons. Okay, I say that because it's different from before. Dating before was the idea of, hey, here's dating material, possible person who you're gonna marry. So begin to date them to find out really and begin to work towards that marriage. Got, got that? That's traditional. All right, so here's, here's, uh, here's modern. Two primary purposes of, of this type of dating. One is recreational, the other is educational. We now have recreational dating. Okay, what does that mean? It means for fun. What are you doing? Going out and have fun. So this is why parents, when you sit there and go, is that really a guy you think is marriage material? That's why the kid goes, marriage material? (laughs) Who's thinking about marriage material? That's all too serious, dad. It's all too serious, mom. We're just hanging, man. This is just for fun. You see that? So there's no idea, there's, there's no mind, the mindset doesn't necessitate that marriage is the goal of coming together into this particular relationship. They're just entering into a relationship. The second is educational. The idea here is that dating could ultimately lead to marriage. However, each person you date is not necessarily a serious candidate for marriage, but the relationship serves as a learning experience to prepare one for marriage. Have you, have you heard this before? So here, here's the idea. The idea of dating is that it's going to be a process by which you date a a number of different people over many different years in the course of your life. And in that process, you're going to learn what it's like to be in a committed relationship. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to learn from those mistakes. You're going to learn what you like. You're going to learn what you don't like. You're going to learn what you want in a spouse. And then this here is how it's supposed to work. And then at the end of all of that learning, you take everything you've learned and then you finally find the right person. How many have heard that before, right? Did so many of the wrong people then finally found the right person, right? And so that's where it's going. So, and, and this, this dating and this process doesn't necessarily lead immediately to marriage, but it's an educational process which is ultimately going to get them there. So, okay, entering in, make sure we understand, entering into an exclusive relationship in which there's an understood increase in emotional and physical intimacy and modern dating may or may not be done with the, with the intention of leading to marriage. However, it is primarily done recreationally, 
and educationally. You guys got that? We, we got that. That's, that's, that's my definition of what's happening in modern dating. All right, here's my conviction. I believe that modern dating presents a great deal of imminent dangers for our children. Incredible amount of dangers. I'm going to list these for you. Write them down if you have them, and then I'm going to unpack them biblically and theologically next week. You guys, hold on, hold on there. All introduction this week. But let me give you these three things. Here it is. Number one, it causes unnecessary headache for, or heartache for children. Unnecessary heartache for children. Number two, it, it, it cultivates harmful patterns in their lives that negatively impact the marriage relationship later in their life. And number three, it places them in a position where purity before God is nearly impossible. Is nearly impossible. Those three things. And we're going to unpack that biblically and theologically next week. Now, that, now, that's my conviction after studying this, after thinking through this. And this isn't just like a week deal or a month deal. This is years and years of reflecting on this. And so you may not have the same conviction, but what I want you to do is be open-minded, open-hearted to the word of God. And as we start tracking through next week, see if it is your conviction. Let me, let me just talk about a couple things. And I'm gonna close with two, two ideas here. Here's the first idea. I believe that there's at least two things that we ought to be able to agree on as we pursue here. The first thing that we should be able to agree on is this, is that Christians are to be living distinctly different than those who are of the world, those who are lost. Would you agree with that? We're to be distinctly different. God constantly calls us to come out and be separate from them, to be in the world, but not to be of the world. But can I tell you this? There's probably no area in our lives that we are more like the world than in the area of developing relationships between a man and a woman. There's very little difference in secular marriages and Christian marriages or dating. In, the, in, in fact, what we find is sexual promiscuity before marriage and adultery within marriage, again, seems to take place at the same rate for those who profess Christ to those who do not believe that Christ is Messiah. Divorce rates, according to some studies, have, have actually shown higher uh, levels in professing believers over the last few years than those who profess no faith, belief whatsoever. Dating among professing Christians is largely the same as it is for unbelievers. Stop and think about it. What is different about young people that claim themselves Christian? What is different about them dating and the world's dating? Is there anything different? Almost everything is the same. In other words, they pretty much define it the same. They see the purposes of it primarily the same. Even the same age. that We even take on the, hey, my, my daughter's not dating until she's 16 years of age. For some reason, 16 years of age is the, is, is, is the time. And here's what's so funny. The hormones is going more than ever before. They have more freedom than ever before. And now they have an automobile. And somehow this is the golden time to set them off and let them be alone. Right? I, I, I don't get it. They even have money in their pocket. All right, to, to go to Tahiti. I don't know where they're going, but they've got money to be able to do all this. But somehow the brain trust that we are, are, hey, this is the right time to push them into this. This is, this is good. And so what happens is this is not a whole lot's different. Even, even Christian parents, even if they don't state it, listen, let's be honest, we even know that there's gonna be an exclusive relationship between our child and another child. And what they're going to do is they're gonna find themselves in a more intimate, um, emotionally intimate and physical relationship with each other. And all the parents seem to be okay with that. 
No big deal. Yeah, they're going to kiss. They're going to do some other things. It's going to be okay. So it's almost exactly alike. Let me tell you where we've drawn the line. Okay, here it is. You guys still with me? Let me, let me kind of push through this. So, so here's how we draw the line. Here's the boundaries for traditional Christianity. First of all, it's not so much of a problem that we have that some guy is making out with our daughter. All right, that's not so much the problem. The problem is really comes of whether he's a believer or not. Bible says, be not unequally yoked with an unbeliever. So this is what we teach our kids. If you're gonna date, just make sure they're a believer. I gotta tell you as a dad, I don't care if you're young men, whatever, guys that are growing up, if you're a believer, unbeliever, I don't want you kissing my daughter, okay? Got, got that. And it's a, look, I don't have preference for either one. Believer, unbeliever, I, 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 don't, I don't want either one to happen. Do you understand? I know what you guys are thinking. Wait until you get there. I understand. I've heard it a million times. Wait until you get there. Wait, just, just wait until you get there. Can I, can I say something to you? I'm not trying to raise my kids, nor should you be raising your kids because you think they're gonna turn out perfect kids. Every single one of them might rebel, and they probably will before they come to know faith in Jesus Christ. You're trying to do what is right, not necessarily what you think is going to work. So what we do is we submit ourselves to the scriptures of the word of God. And so here's what we do. So, so here's what we say. I mean, you can almost hear the, the parents say, uh, you wouldn't believe what happened. What happened? Well, I came home and Jenny was making out with Johnny. Oh, no, sorry, Johnny, by the way, we have a Johnny. And uh, not, not this Johnny. Making out with Johnny on the couch. Well, well, well listen, uh, making out is gonna be normal. No, it's not that. It's that Johnny's not a believer. Oh, well, well, listen, don't you remember two summers ago at youth camp that he asked Jesus into the God-sized hole of his heart? You're cool. Oh, good, okay. All right, Johnny, go at it. No. You, 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 see, you see that there's something messed up here? As long as you're a believer in Jesus Christ, it's okay. Here, here's, here's the other one. The other way that we define it is this, is we also want to make sure that we give some kind of awkward conversation that we don't even know what we're talking about. That's like, that's like nailing jello to the wall of how far is too far. I don't even know what that means, right? Here's too far. Everybody's got too far. Well, I think it's this far. First of all, that question is completely debunked and messed up because what you're saying is how much can I get away with? How close to sin can I get without actually blowing it? Wrong, wrong thing. The question should be, how do I most glorify God? It should always be the drive, and no matter what it is that we ultimately do. How can I glorify God? So, 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 so here it is. And so the idea there is, is, is we say stay pure, and the, uh, the idea of most people stay pure is, is just, just you look, true love waits. Just don't go all the way. Just don't give yourself. But everything up to that seems to be just kind of ambiguous type idea. And let me tell you this, guys. If this has been our standard, I just think we can do better in this. I think the word of God is much more clear than this. I think he can help and navigate us through this a little bit more. Let me tell you what, and I'm gonna finish up with this, but let me tell you what the major hurdle is. The major hurdle is, and, and this is where I really need you to listen. The major hurdle is, is that the Bible teaches nothing about modern dating. It's not even mentioned. There's nothing explicitly in the word of God that speaks on this one particular topic, and this is what the problem is. Here's why. Because there are many people that believe if the Bible doesn't explicitly speak about it, then it's up to us to do whatever it is that we think is right. Huge problem. The Bible says in the book of Judges, chapter 17, that there was no king, so the people did what was right in their own eyes. And you know what book that's in? The book of Judges, which means when you do what's right in your own eyes, you're judged. It leads to judgment, right? So the problem that we have here is that we think, again, 
when people say, hey, Mike, you keep saying the reformers speak where the Bible speaks and remain silent where the Bible is silent. To that, I agree. However, now always when the Bible, it's not every time that the Bible doesn't explicitly speak on something doesn't mean that it's completely silent on it. For example, the Bible never says don't beat your wife. But I think that all of us could probably agree that the Bible teaches you not to beat your wife. Would you agree, wives, right? I think the Bible never says don't get hooked on internet pornography, right? It doesn't say it anywhere. But I think all of us would say that the Bible teaches us not to be hooked on internet pornography. So here's where I find, especially people in their 20s, uh, they're really bad with this, is that they, they sit there and say, well, if the Bible doesn't expressly say don't or do, then I'm left to fend for myself to do what is right and however I think it is. That's not the way the Bible teaches. See, what the Bible teaches is it's not a book that's a guidebook unto life. And that's what everybody thinks. They think, hey, listen, it's like a Rolodex. Just, Where was that again? Where, what does it say about that? Doesn't it? it is a guidebook of life unto God. It tells you who God is and how we ought to live a right relationship with him, how that's possible through his son, Jesus Christ, and what it looks like after we come to faith in Jesus Christ by understanding the ideas of purity and how he would have us to live. So these are the things that God tells us expressly and specifically. Now, now let me say this. There's, there's something that we have to hold to and we have to agree on, and, and that is one is, is the doctrine of inerrancy I think we would all agree on. Let me tell you what that is. Southern Baptists especially have really championed this for a number of years. The doctrine holds that the Bible is the authoritative word of God. It's true and contains no falsity of error. If you agree with that, say amen. You believe in the inerrancy of scripture. That battle has pretty much been won. But let me tell you where the battle is now. It's not for inerrancy. It's for sufficiency. Now just track with me just for a minute. What people are now ultimately saying is, yeah, it's inerrant. Everything that it says is right and is true. The problem is the Bible doesn't address everything. And so what we find is that there is a doctrine, and here's the doctrine that I'm mostly going to be, you've got to embrace if we're going to get through this, and it's the doctrine of sufficiency. When we talk about sufficiency, this is what we're saying. We're saying that the Bible is sufficient to guide and entrust us in every area of faith and life. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the word of God is sufficient to guide you of every area of life and godliness unto God? Is that what we believe? It's what the scriptures teach very clearly. It means that there is no subject or area of life that the Bible does not provide guidance for. So 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 makes this clear. Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction for training in righteousness. The man of God may be competent, equipped for what? Every good work. Even in areas of modern dating, the word of God speaks. Now here's what I want you to do. I'm gonna give you some homework. But before I do, let me just say this. That idea of the sufficiency of scripture is one of the most encouraging Hopeful doctrines, I know. The fact that God lets us know not only to have a right relationship through Jesus Christ, but to continue in right fellowship with him. And everything I need to know is right there for the word of God. That I don't have to walk around confused by myself doing what's right in my own eyes. 
But God loved us enough to write a book that was perfect enough to get it covered and have a place for you and I to go to learn, to be able to live our lives in God. I am eternally grateful for that. Let me give you some homework. I want you to seek the Bible. If you believe in the sufficiency of Scripture, I want you and your family to begin to talk about modern day. I want you to begin to talk. I want you to sit down and begin to talk about it. And here are the things I want you to do. Biblical or unbiblical? What does the word of God say? Is it something that honors God or is it something that dishonors God? Does it seem to be consistent with how God calls us to holiness or not? And here's three things. I, let me give you a little more specifics. My wife is like, you gotta give more specifics than that. So here's, thanks to my wife, here are the specifics you need to be looking up, okay? All right, first of all, look for scripture concerning issues of purity and holiness. Purity and holiness. Number two, look at the doctrine and teaching of marriage. What does the Bible speak on and teach about the covenant of marriage? Number three, look at the teaching concerning how we ought to treat one another as brothers and sisters in Christ outside of marriage. How would you treat each other? Those three things. You look, you search the scriptures. If you believe the Bible sufficient, then you need to come, and I believe you can come to the same conclusion that I did about this issue if you'll search the scriptures and submit yourself to it. So I want you to go at it. So here's, here's, here's the final deal. Basically, what I want you to do is, is this. If our methodology doesn't match the biblical teaching and our theology, okay, and it doesn't lead us to embrace and to live out what it is that we believe the Bible says, then our methodology has to be jettisoned or changed or transformed. If it's not leading to godliness and to purity and upholding the covenant of marriage, then something has got to ultimately change. Would you agree with that? Okay. And, and let me say this last thing. One of the easiest ways to do it is just ask yourself this question. Is it consistent with the gospel? Is it consistent with the gospel? And let me lay that out for you just real quick. The gospel is simply this. The gospel is that God created the earth, created man to have fellowship with him. Man blew it. Man did what was right in his own eyes. He wanted to be experiential. He wanted to try to experience the truth by himself. We're gonna hit on that next week. He goes off. He does what's right in his own eyes. There's a break before the relationship. Man in all creation is condemned. They fall. It's called the fall. They, they are condemned. They are, have a fallen nature. That relationship is forever broken, but in God's grace and mercy, he sends his son, Jesus Christ, born of a virgin. He's perfectly man, perfectly God. He comes, he lives a perfect life. He upholds the law of God perfectly. He dies on the cross, not for his sin, but as a substitute for those that he would ultimately save. And the Bible says that he dies and he's buried, and on the third day, he raises from the dead. And anybody who would repent of their sin, that is to turn from their sin, to seek forgiveness of their sin, and place their faith in Christ's work, that Christ did what they could not do for themselves, God says that he will save them, promises that he will save them. We get that part of the gospel many ways. And it's good news, we get to be forgiven. But here's what I want you to understand as well. He not only came to save us, he came to change us and to empower us by giving us the word of God and indwelling us with the Holy Spirit to be able to live a right life before him in fellowship. So if what we're doing in the area of modern dating is not consistent with the gospel, it must be jettisoned. You've got to find wisdom to know how to navigate. Let's pray.
Jesus, we come to you this morning, and I thank you for the time that we've had. There's some laughing. There was some 